We're now going to have our reading, and you can find it in the Gospel of John, and in the Church Bibles, that's page 1083, chapter 15, starting at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Well, this is a very special Remembrance Day. Uh, We're not only remembering today all those who've died since the Great War, of 1914-18 right the way through to the Afghan war. But we're recalling this year that a hundred years ago it was the commencement of the First World War. And this sea of poppies at the Tower of London symbolizes the public awareness of this centenary year. By tomorrow, uh, that's in fact today, the field of ceramic poppies will number 888,246. And the figure represents an estimate of the military fatalities in the First World War. An estimated 4 million people have visited the Tower of London in recent weeks to see this amazing exhibition, Blood-Swept Lands and Seas of Red. The title is taken from the first line of a poem by an unknown soldier, The Blood-Swept Lands and Seas of Red, Where Angels Fear to Tread. Some of us will have uh, very personal memories of the First World War. My grandfather, Thomas Coffey, he died on the 12th of July, 1916, at the First Battle of the Somme. I have a picture of him in his uniform. I have a copy of the family photograph, uh, his seven children that was on his body when his body was found and there's a bullet hole in the bottom right-hand corner. My granddad was 40 when he died and he left my grandmother Ada as a widow to bring up seven children of which the youngest was my, my dad Arthur. You will have your personal memories of loved ones who died in the conflict, of caring for those in the aftermath of war. If you watch the Albert Hall 
ceremony last evening, you will know some of the inspiring stories that were told by those who are still recovering uh, from bereavement. And this particular verse, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, played its part in the First World War. It was the text used again and again in sermons, in choral music. It was to support the recruitment of young soldiers. They were challenged with the question, are you willing to lay down your life and sacrifice your life in the defense of your country? And so it's right that today we pause and we honor brave men and women who've served in so many conflicts, who selflessly laid down their lives that we might enjoy our freedoms. Here in Plymouth, this city of all places, and in Muttley, Alan uh, remembered the names of those, and do go and visit if you've never been across to this side of the church, and read the memorial book that lovingly was prepared by Tom recording the 22 in the First World War and the 14 in the Second World War. People associated with this church, can you imagine the, the grief that must have been felt not only by families but by the whole church fellowship? We need, on days like today, to stand and remember the terrible price of war. Remembrance Day is a time to look back with gratitude and to remember. But it's also a day to look around and face reality. Because there are many areas of the world today that remain in the grip of callous evildoers. They use military might to impose their iron will. They shed the blood of innocent men and women, sometimes in the name of a religious cause. So what's the Christian response? Do we stand by and hold our hands up in despair? Do we support the call to send in the troops? Do we pause to say, when is a just war a just war? Is there anything distinctive we can say as Christians? And what about the, the less publicized wars? Battles in the home, war in the workplace, conflict and division in the church. I've been to many peace seminars. I, I know uh, Christians who devote themselves to this, and they all say this, that the way for Christians to get involved in the global conflicts is to work on those conflicts that are nearer to home, in the home, in the workplace, in the church. Because practicing peacemaking in these places enables us to understand and have a bigger picture of peacemaking in the wider scene. So whatever the conflict, how, how do we as disciples understand the Prince of Peace in a world of conflict. Now, the Bible passage that was read to us by Hannah, John chapter 15, includes the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Just a reminder that it, this is the night. In a few hours, he'll be hanging on the cross. And he wants to prepare his disciples, not only for the momentous few, few days they're going to experience, what we know is Good Friday and Easter Day, but what happens after 40 days when he leaves this earth and leaves them to continue what he's been doing? So he leaves them in John 15. We begin to read this. Uh, we read how he shares parting gifts. He says, I want to give you my peace. I want to leave you with my joy. 
I want to give you eventually the gift of the Spirit. When I've gone, that Spirit will come. These are all gifts. And then supremely, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And notice, uh, notice the number of times in these verses from John 15, how often the word command appears. Jesus doesn't make this good advice. He doesn't sort of say it's an invitation, there's a yes-no attached. This is a command. My command is this, you're to love one another as I have loved you. So what do we learn from this regarding our own loving each other? Well, the first is that the pattern for loving is found in this John 15 verse 12. Love each other as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? How does God love us? Well, he loves us in four dimensions. There's a breadth, a a height, a length, and a depth to it. That's the love of God. And we are to say, as we have been loved, so we are going to love in the home, in the workplace, in the church. The breadth of love is, is so wide. I'm only speaking for myself, but in my experience, we, we set narrow limits on loving friendships. Uh, this is the extent of my love. That's my breadth. So uh, I love you, and uh, I love you, but I'm sorry, uh, not you. And of course, Jesus has the greatest breadth of friendship than any human being. It's, it's like the wideness of the ocean. And if we're going to love one another as Jesus loved us, we have to broaden our love. We have to broaden our love for the people we live with. We have to broaden our love for the child that we despair of. We have to broaden our love to include the big beast who makes life in the workplace intolerable. Love one another as I have loved you, the breadth. And then there's the length. What length do we go in terms of loving people? Eventually, I do anyway. I say, well, enough is enough. Love has its limits. But Jesus' love simply goes on. It's just, it's out of sight. So it includes cowards like Peter and traitors like Judas and doubters like Thomas. Lord, I want you to enable me to go to greater lengths if I'm going to love as you have loved me. I want to go the extra mile and then a few more miles. I want to be able to see people as you see them because you believe, and I want to believe, the crooked can become straight, the weak can become strong. There's a new start for failures. So there's a breadth and there's a length and there's a height. Those great words that Jesus spoke, I doubt whether the disciples fully understood it. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to think that given who was around the table, given that all but one of the male disciples would desert him on the cross. When he was on the cross, it was pretty empty for disciples around the foot of the cross, apart from John. So it is amazing that Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. He says it on Thursday, and by Friday he's doing it. But if I ask you this question, is there an even greater love than laying your life down for your friends? Well, the Bible says there is. The greater love than laying down your life for your friends is dying for your enemies. 
And the early church understood this. They just about comprehended what Jesus meant in the upper room. But as time went on, they were writing words like this. The Bible says, when we were enemies, Jesus died for us. Jesus doesn't wait for you to say, well, I'll be your friend. And then he says, right, I died for you. When we had no thought of God, no instinct to come home to God, no desire to walk his way, it's in that moment that we see the height of God's love. A couple of weeks ago, I heard a story uh, from Cuba, a place I've been to, a woman who had lived through the darkest days of Fidel Castro and the revolution. And uh, she hated Fidel Castro. She held him responsible for the people who had been murdered, the people who had disappeared, and the people who had been imprisoned. So one day she asked her minister this question. She said to her pastor, will Fidel Castro be in heaven? So her pastor paused and he said, well, if he has asked God for the forgiveness of sins, and when he comes to die, he's trusting Christ as saviour, then the answer is yes, he will be in heaven. And the woman responded, if Castro is going to be there, I don't want to be there. The height of God's love is a profound challenge to the quality of our loving. What's the verse? Love each other as I have loved you. To that height? Do you think there's been a more inspiring story in recent weeks than that of Anne McGuire? The Leeds teacher murdered in her own classroom. How moving to see the quiet dignity of Anne McGuire's family outside the courtroom this week following the sentence scene of the teenage murderer. Our hearts go out to the Maguire family and they also go out to the family of the young man convicted of her murder. But that story, and you'll have your own, reminds me that practicing the height of God's love is never sentimental. It's pain-filled. It's gut-wrenching. It challenges our faith to the very deepest levels. And as you sit here this morning, perhaps having a similar experience to either the woman in Cuba or Anne Maguire's family, you just have to say to the Lord, if I have to love others as you have loved me, then take me to a height that I, be- I could never get to myself. And what about the depth of his love? I confess to you that my love for people is often very shallow. And I can often hear God whispering in my ear, David, um, I want more depth, deeper. You'll be pleased to know I love my wife, Janet. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. And I even love my kid brother, Ian. (laughs) And his beautiful, lovely wife, Ruth. But you see, it's no strain to love these loved ones because they're they're so lovable. When people are lovable, that's not a challenge. It's when I encounter the unlovable that my love is found to be so shallow. And you may have had the same experience as me. God whispering in your ear, I want more depth. Go deeper in your love for this person. I read a a story uh, last week of two guys talking in a pub over a pint of beer and One dad was sharing with the other just how he was struggling to love his son. His son was so unlovable. 
His son constantly lied. He wasted his gifted brain at school. He took and started taking illegal substances. He stole money from the home. One day in five, he was good company, and the rest of the time, he was a demon. One of the challenges all of us will have at some point will be for God to whisper, I want you to go deeper, deeper, deeper in loving this person. Because the pattern of love is love as I have loved you. Early this morning as I was um, praying for this service, I suddenly became overwhelmed with a sense that someone, some folk here, will find a sermon like this just beyond them. You come to church to escape the harsh reality of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of loving in the home, in the workplace, in the church. I just want to say that God's commands are never unreachable. They always come and stitched into them is what we call grace. That's what we mean by help. It's undeserved, it's unsought, it, it just comes. So if the Lord comes and perhaps touches a scar or maybe opens a wound this morning, he simply wants to pour both his grace and his ability in there. So in these war zones we've already mentioned, we might practice that peacemaking, which eventually will spill over into a wider world. And then just look at the, uh, the benefits of loving. I'll leave you to look at these verses, but they're all laid out in these verses. What happens in our lives when we, with God's help, begin to love according to this pattern? What Jesus calls abiding in my love, living in it, practicing it daily. There are spiritual benefits. The first is we discover his order. That's verse 10. If you obey my commands. Now I know obey and command sound grey and dull and it goes against the spirit of the age. We don't like to think we have to obey and we don't like to receive commands. But listen, these come from God and they're creative and they're life-giving. Do you know why he gives us his commands? I'll tell you. He says to us, this is how my universe runs best because I made it. This is how your life runs best, because I made you. I know what makes you tick. If you haven't done it recently, read Psalm 139. And you have not only there the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of God's love, you have the cosmic nature of God's love. If I ascend to the heavens, his love is there. And it's limitless in terms of time. I knew you in the womb. I knit you together in your mother's womb. That's the love of God. And so to discover his order, we discover his order when we obey his commands. Lord, I want that in my life. However grievous those commands are, I want to discover your order, how to live life as you intended in this universe. But we also experience his joy. I want my joy to be in you, verse 11. Now remember, he's speaking this, joy on the night before he dies. That's because joy is not to do with parties. Although we can have parties full of joy, it's not to do with circumstances. It's to do with something that is deep, deep down. 
I have learnt whatsoever state I am in to be joyfully content. I sometimes had the privilege of praying with people and uh, they'll share with me some pretty stark situations and I'll say to them, how on earth, how on earth are you in this situation and so peaceful? And they say, because God has told me I need someone like you in this situation to sort it out. Your hands, your mouth, your heart. We enjoy his friendship. That's verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Muttley, do you remember last year how proud we were when our friend uh, Anne Scarf won her Pride of Britain award? We basked in her limelight, didn't we? We had an overnight TV star. Now, I'm not sure whether Anne has been to Buckingham Palace, but let's talk about something unbelievable. Imagine the scene. Anne's invited to Buckingham Palace to a reception. Dozens of people there. She's presented to the Queen. And then the Queen takes Anne by the arm, leads her across to a group of strangers, introduces her with these words. This is my friend Anne. Now, I told you it was unbelievable because Her Majesty doesn't do things like that, certainly not to folks like us. But here's the totally believable. That if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, he's able to introduce you with the words, this is my friend. The one who was there at the beginning of creation, when it was formless and dark and no form and order, the word said, let there be, and light sprang into being. And over time, a world was formed. He's your friend. The one who died on the cross, born in the manger, died on the cross, rose again. Here this morning, by his spirit, whispering in your, in your ear, this is true for you. What a powerful thing for him to say to you this morning. This is my friend. And then, of course, we share his purposes. What's his purpose? I chose you to be fruitful. Last Wednesday, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving service for our 93-year-old church member, V. Mason. Many of you knew and loved V. To others, she was a stranger. But let me tell you, her life was full of fruitfulness. I didn't know her so well until I came to prepare for her funeral. 20 years serving as a missionary in the Congo. Prayer meetings for street pastors, missionary prayer meetings, visiting gaffers, befriending strangers. The lesson from V's life to all of us this morning is you achieve fruitfulness as you discover God's order and experience his joy and enjoy his friendship and share his purposes and above all as you love others as Jesus loved you. Sam Wells is the uh, vicar of um, St. Martin in the Fields. And sometimes you'll hear him on radio, and uh, his books are always worth getting. And in his recent book, he, he shares a story of how, as a teenager, he had to experience his mum dying with cancer. He says how his mum was a very well-prepared mum, and she knew that his 21st was a couple of years away, and she knew other landmarks in other members of the family, so she bought gifts and she wrote letters and told her husband where all these things were in the house. So Sam's 21st birthday present and a letter to him to be opened on his 21st birthday was stored away. She died, they went to a funeral. And then about a year before his 21st birthday, he went on holiday with his dad. 
And while they were on holiday, the house was burgled. And all the gifts and all the letters that had been prepared lovingly by his dying mum went with the burglars. And Sam says to this day, I don't know what that gift was, and I don't know what the letter contained. But he says in his book, he says, I knew my mum well enough so that I think I know what she said in her letter. She wanted to say, Sam, I have loved you, but there is nothing compared to the love with which God loves you. And he quotes Bible passages saying that a particular passage from the book of Hosea, which speaks ravishingly of the love of God, he says, I can read that letter and say, that's what my mum wrote to me in the letter. And we've had a love letter from God this morning, again. He says to each of you, you are my beloved child. When you wander and stray, I will love you. When you bring to me in your hands the broken pieces of your life and say to me, mend me, I love you. At all times and in all places, I'm going to go on loving you. But I want to say one thing to you. I just want to leave you this command. Will you go on loving others as I have loved you?